0: Hey, welcome to the Miss you Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missyodaychicago.com. How's everybody doing today? Okay. What's up? I'm Bam. And I love Jesus. That's it. I'm sorry. I'm still stuck on that Be Thou My Vision, man. That song just ugh, gets me every time. Be my delight, be Jesus my glory, my soul satisfied. Ah, uh, any song about Jesus is just amazing to me. We are currently in our series, When Church Signs Lie. And this is us beginning to break down some misconceptions some preconceived notions about what the church is or how the church is supposed to function. And, uh, you know, you love all these witty signs that are happening, but I think that church signs are not supposed to be witty. They're supposed to be supernatural. We're supposed to be a sign and a wonder to generations of who God is, that they're not supposed to quip and show us how good we can be culturally but we are actually given the opportunity to walk like Jesus in this world. Is anybody excited about that? At some point throughout our history, we've decided that that was not enough, that we needed Jesus and something else, that we need Jesus and success, that we need Jesus and influence, that we need Jesus and votes, that we need Jesus and to live in a right neighborhood, but I want us to go back and think about what it means to be the body of Christ and to say that his grace is sufficient for us more than anything else in this world. In a passage that Christine read, thank you, Christine. Um, It says, starting in verse 10, that we always carry about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I keep in mind that the state of the church that Paul is writing to is always easy to be glimpsed by the length of the epistle. It is sort of like mom leaving home and writing a letter of what the kids need to do based on their previous history, how long it needs to be, what kind of correction it needs to have. Corinthians got two letters. They got an early letter and a later letter, it was a lot of things that were going in, attempts to assimilate and be mixed with the culture that was in Corinth, which is the first place that Christians were called Christians. There were some things that Paul had to address in particular, and one of them was the cultural notion of suffering. The way that Christians did it, it didn't make sense to the people who weren't a part of the body of believers. Why would you choose a faith that caused you to suffer? Why would you choose to believe in a God who claimed that as we are broken, we are releasing a great and amazing and a loving gift on the world? Couldn't it just be success without suffering? And I think today we are faced with that same question. Is it success without carrying about in us the dying body of our lord and savior jesus christ we are welcomed into a culture that loves to downplay the glory that is inside you and us by simply existing and living as we are this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine this little light of mine i'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Now the lie in that song is it is not a little light. The dying body of Christ is a big light. (laughs) A really large, amazing and wonderful light that shines wherever we go. How do we Move in this world as the body of light. Jesus compares us to salt and to light, which are two things that have the quality of being placed or being prepared or made for something else. Light is not made for itself. Salt is not made for itself. Light is not a self-illuminating thing. Salt is not a self-preserving thing. But in this age we live in, we are are called to sometimes protect ourselves and to preserve ourselves. Why? Because so we won't get hurt. We are called sometimes to seek for ourselves what we desire and what we need. When all the while Jesus is saying, you are my body of light. If you feel like you're ever in a dark situation, whether that's relationally, whether it's on work, it's in your job, it is time to shine. Even when you're broken, even when you feel like you don't have everything that you need, you have this light that is the dying body of Christ that's inside of us. But we are taught from a young age to downplay all of what is inside of us, all of the myths that is shining. It's so precious to dedicate these children up here and knowing how precious our words are to children because I bet you you could think of a million negative things that have been said to you when you were a child and not one positive. We begin to remember these things through our life, and we downplay the glory that's in children. We downplay the glory that they carry, the light of Christ that is inside of them. Why? Because we've been hurt too, and we just want to prepare them for it. You know, we shouldn't dream so big, you know? Like, you know how much school you have to go to, you know? Like, oh, you need so many degrees, don't worry about that. I think you should settle for less. We have a tendency to be very careful with our words to adults and very flippant with our words to children. And these are the ones that they will remember their whole life. And such a week when I'm looking at all my kids and I'm like, man, I remember when you were born. And now you're starting to act like you're a teenager. <laughs> Lord Jesus, I need your help, please. Please. I don't want a teenager yet. (laughs) And because we are this body of light, I don't want us to ever lose the ability to see how Jesus has modeled for us what it means to move through a world full of hurt, full of disappointment, but yet remaining hopeful and joyous in the midst of it. And Matthew 2 is a passage that we're going to get really familiar with coming up with Christmas. And it is the one where Jesus is the birth of Jesus in the manger. And there are people that think differently about why he was in the manger. His family was visiting Bethlehem for a census. He was in a major because there was no room in the inn, is the common narrative. When you visited a a place that was your hometown, you usually stayed with family. So how come they didn't stay with family? Maybe because it was a shameful thing to be a virgin, but yet pregnant. And then, In Matthew 2, I'll start at verse 16. I think I should have it. It reads, Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise man, he was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth to put death to all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the wise man. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And this infanticide were also happened in the time of Moses. It was Herod's attempt to thwart the plan of the Lord, which is to have a Savior born in Bethlehem. And I think that doesn't begin, it begins early for many of us as well. Whether it is like I mentioned those words that happen, that continue to have us doubt the light that's inside of us. Or it is um, childhood disease which I feel is a big part of the enemy attempting to steal the destiny of people. Bless you. And (laughs) understanding that, like it says in 2 Corinthians 4, that we may be persecuted, but we are not forsaken. Jesus going through this persecution, but understanding that the father had not forgotten about him even in the midst of moving through a world. Now, I can understand some of this, being a person of color, live where I live, and knowing that it brings tears to my eyes to think of the way people are even persecuted to this day. But knowing that they are not forsaken, like no matter what we go through in life and how we move, and sometimes it's hard to look at the facts in a city. Sometimes it's hard to look at the facts in this country and be hopeful. But I hold on to the fact that even Jesus was an immigrant seeking refuge in Egypt. Even Jesus needed to be embraced by people who didn't look like him so that this promise of our Savior would come to us. Herod looking far and wide for a way to destroy that seed of life that was in Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. And the greatest thing to think about is that you are all miracles sitting here. Your destiny has brought you to this moment despite everything that has been tried to thwart what is going on. And I realize even some of that has been perpetuated by the church over the years. Hurt hurt has come in the church. Hurt has come from us wanting to engage in a certain way, maybe feel like we're not embraced, maybe feeling like we're not loved the way we need to be loved. And I want to apologize for that. I want to tell you that God has always desired to embrace you. That the glory of God that is found in the light of Christ has always been available for us. But I want to ask you for forgiveness for the way you may even have been treated in a church, and since we are the body, we are together gathered into this mystery of living and loving, but sometimes things go awry. During an all-in night, I had a vision, and in this vision, I was flying with Jesus. Don't ask me why or what airline. It was an amazing airline. I'm flying with Jesus, and over... Um, over the city, and I see these different pockets of light. And in these pockets of light, there are people who are praying, who are contending for God to transform and change the city. And I saw that as we worship together in this space that they all became gathered up and to this flame, and to this light that began to light up all the darkness in the city. You see, there is always an opportunity for us to be self-preserving and to think about when I enter a space, how does it benefit me? But I want people to be able to enter the walls of the body of Christ and say, how can I shine here? How can I shine here? Because you may feel that your light is little, but when you place it with more, it becomes an everlasting flame. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are moving through a world that doesn't know how to embrace all of our gifts or to embrace all of who we are. But you are not forsaken, always welcomed in the midst of it. In Matthew 4, the end of Matthew 3, going into Matthew 4, um, in 3.17, God says these wonderful words to his son. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And already by four and eight, he's being tempted by the devil. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The dove floats down on Jesus and he's baptized, not just in the water, but he's baptized by the Holy Spirit. And God is so pleased with him. He's on a mountaintop having this amazing experience. And then it says in chapter four that he's led then into the desert. He's led then into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Like, God, if you're pleased with me, why am I being led into the desert? And in 4 and 8, it says, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain. This is the third of the temptations that the enemy tried to um, use to deceive Jesus after his 40 days of fasting. So he took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all their kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. I'm sometimes perplexed but not in despair of the way that God chooses to do things and the way God chooses to lead us to where he wants us to be. That very often he hides what we need in offensive packaging. And that offensive packaging can be a person. (laughs) Because there is one way to receive in the spirit, and that is through humility. And every once in a while, we get a glimpse of what that looks like and wondering how do we move through this confusion and this despair in the world not knowing what we're supposed to do. Does anybody in here know exactly what their purpose is that God called them to do exactly? It can be a perplexing life that we live And how do we move through this life but not be in despair because the world has taught us what success looks like? But I love that success is understanding that I'm carrying around the dying body of Jesus Christ in my heart. And even Jesus being dared by Satan to receive what was not his what was his in a way that he wasn't supposed to. He told him, hey, you can take all that you want, all that's made for you, but you get to do it the way that I would like you to do it. And that's why it's called a temptation. A temptation for us to become the center of our own universe. To become a me and a I generation that continues to sink into itself and doesn't produce any light but only darkness. But we are called to be the body of light. So I say, what's our, what do we think success is? Who do we think Christ has called us to be here on this earth? And I look at things sometimes and I, you know, you start comparing yourself to people. You start seeing how old was this person when they started this company. Oh, I'm so far behind. I've done nothing with my life. Why am I going to 7-Eleven? They started this company by then. We do all this comparison And wonder why we are where we are. When did us carrying Jesus with us where we go not become enough? When did that become a side note to the life that we are called to live? A mere mere footnote in our life. And we're frustrated with the Lord because... We want to shine like the world. And here's Jesus in despair, week, 40 days, man. You give me a week and I'm in despair. (laughs) A week fasting, I'm in despair. Oh, Lord, you have forsaken me? (laughs) I'm sure you have. (laughs) 40 days fasting. He's perplexed. He's in despair. But he knows that that is not the success that his father has called him to have. Not just in our weakness, but in our strength. Can we reject the way the world has called us to pursue success? And the way it's called us. Because our hunt and our heart and our desire for success brings anxiety when it's not happening. What's, What's going on, Lord? I'm so anxious. Yet and still, humility is required for us to get our answer. I remember one time I was praying for somebody's shoulder, and they, you know, had chronic shoulder pain, which I feel like God is really wants to heal some chronic pain today, so I'll pray a little bit for that later. But I was praying for this guy's shoulder, and um, nothing was happening. And I'm like, man, what's going on? Kept praying, kept praying, nothing happening. And I got this thought that I was supposed to ask my son to come pray for him. So I said, Andre, come over and pray for him. He prayed for him once, and the guy's shoulder got completely healed. And I think it's amazing thought and idea that success for us often in the world comes with humility attached to it. It comes with us understanding that we don't know everything. I love going to these amazing, wonderful conferences where they list a million PhDs for each person and all of the stuff that they've done. But why am I so enamored with that and not my Savior, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Am I spending more time talking about men's accomplishments than I am about what what God has accomplished through me? all the muck and the mire that he snatched me from which is why i jump up and down during worship which is why i make crazy sounds what does that mean? which is why i love to brim over with the passion and the love for Jesus Christ because he has decided to put a light and a dark place in me. And I just can't get over it. <laughs> I, I just can't get over it. And I believe that, that the body thinks we need accessories to our faith. We need accessories to that core of who we are. Which is a people that have been saved by Grace taken out of the darkness and placed into the light. And even times where I don't see a manifestation around me, I don't see, I feel forsaken. I feel persecuted. I remember that ultimately God has taken this glorious light and wrapped it and wrapped me around it and placed me where I am. So don't you not shine. Don't you not let the glory of the Lord be seen in you because we all need it as the body of Christ. And as we stand together, shoulder to shoulder, this impenetrable light begins to burn up all the darkness, all the tension all the steps back we're the world tells us we should take and we realize that we are following the creator of the universe. I remember when I was little and I had a little brother I had a lot of little brothers actually four little brothers to be exact and my little brother would always follow me and my older brother and we'd be like go home man, go home so now Elijah's doing that to Andre. <laughs> Followed him. Go home, man, go home. No, nah, man, I want to come with you guys, man. Come on. Go home. And he always just kind of trailed a distance behind us to where we forgot about him. So he could just pop up like, eh. Ah. Like, man. And I think we, we are treating modern day culture like we're the little brother. We are following behind culture. Hey, look, I can say something witty. I can put it on a church sign. It's awesome. When apparently the earth is the Lord's footstool. What? The earth is the Lord's footstool. Paul used to glory in his determination not to say that I'm coming with eloquent words and not that I've been so amazing and wonderful, but I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. How could that be enough? How could that be enough in a world where we love to talk about our complexities and our accomplishments and the money we have and the boats that we visited? Any friends here with a boat? He said, I'm determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And the world is telling us, but hey, there are some other things that you could know, right? And Jesus is rejecting it. No, because of who God has called Him to be. I reject your boat. I reject your Mackinac race. Only a few people will get that, but it's all right. (laughs) A few local folks. (laughs) So we may be in despair. We may be perplexed, but we are not in despair because we know what God has given us to do, to shine like salt and light to a world that has no idea what light looks like and no idea how beautiful Christ is The beauty of who he is. Turn to Judges 7, please. Or flip your app to Judges 7. And I wanted to... Because there are a lot of verses, there are a lot of passages that are about the body of Christ. Ephesians 6, about us putting on the full armor of God. So many passages in Corinthians. Um, But I wanted to talk about the body from the perspective of Jesus' life. And how so much is illuminated just from his person. So we'll get back to Jesus through Gideon. And, you know, Gideon was a, a coward. <laughs> He's a coward and, uh, at first. And God says, mighty man of valor. Ooh, who are you talking to? Me? I'm hiding in a wine press. Why would you call me a mighty man of valor? God loves to call you not who you think you are, but who you really are. Cowering, cowering, hiding. Mighty men of valor, come on, man. I got to talk to you about something. Who, me? And in Judges 7 and 16, and so God calls Gideon. He gives him a fleece. He says, if you're going to, if God, this is really you talking to me, put dew on the ground, not on the fleece. All right, I need some more convincing. Put dew on the fleece and not on the ground. He's testing God in all his ways. He knows God has called him to lead the children of Israel against the Amalekites and the Midianites. And so together they come, and he gets an army of 22,000. And God says, you know what? That is too many people. God's notions of success are very different from ours He says, you know what? You've got 22,000 people. If you win, you'll be able to take credit for it. I want people to know this is me. So by and large, through these different ways, he whittles this 22,000 number to 300. 300. It's like you're going to buy something really expensive, and God is like, you got too much money. Just take 10 bucks. (laughs) What the? Why would I do that? So that's where we are in 16, where he's giving him instructions. And in 7:16 it says, Then he divided the 300 men into three companies. And he put a trumpet into every man's hand with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, you shall do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you shall blow the trumpet on every side of the whole camp and say, the sword of the Lord, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost in the camp in the beginning of the middle watch just as they had posted the watch and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers and they held the torches in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands for blowing and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in this place all around the camp, and a whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord said every man soared against his companion throughout the whole camp, and the army fled to Beth Acacia towards the Zerath, as far as the border of Abel, Meholah, and the Tabath, by Tabath. This is astounding that this is an, an encounter with an army that they won without using a sword. What did they use? They used clay pots with flames inside of them. They threw them on the ground and blew a trumpet. That doesn't sound like a good way to win a a war. But if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. They got pictures. And in 2 Corinthians four, it says that we are struck down, but not destroyed. And we have this treasure, this flame in jars of clay. And it makes me think of this passage a victory that happens even when we're struck down and broken. When we don't understand that carrying the body of the dying Jesus inside of us is like having TNT ready to go off at any time. Ready to array our spiritual gifts And this amazing amalgamation of glory and see people healed and see people saved. And see this body of light manifest through the glory of God. But if I'm convinced by culture that weakness is a weakness, how does light ever get outside of me? I'm easily broken, Lord. Why is it I get hurt all the time? I have this empathy for so many people. The light gets out easier. But keep in mind that we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. This is Jesus in the garden wrestling with the Lord like, "Eh, do I really got to go to the cross? I mean, could we figure out another way to do that? But no, he continues through the garden to the cross, understanding that all he was, as he was gonna be struck down, it was gonna release a light that we all get access to. In Corinth, these jars of clay were the cheapest, most things of not non-value. They were used for trash. It was just something you could discard. This shows that it is not what we have, it's not the bow ties we wear, but it is what is in us that illuminates us, cleanses us, and makes us valuable. It's not the clay, because we were all formed from this dirt in the ground. band you want to come up you see this light that is inside of our bodies and it gets broken so easily and here is the light that is emitted through us as the church emitting our brokenness before a world that wants to seem bulletproof before a world that cannot embrace weakness the mystery of the gospel is not that It's not a gospel of success. It's a quote by James Cone. The gospel of Jesus is not a gospel of success. It is a gospel of ultimate success through failure. Yet and still, the world is like, this is what success is. All right, little brother. All right, is that what success is? Okay, that looks good. But we are a body of light illuminating where we go and what we do. And this is why Paul could even glory in his weakness because brokenness emits a light so much more easy. And although we would like to be seen as having the fullness of everything we need without needing anybody else. The truth of the matter is we need each other. We need each other's gifts of encouragement. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's support when you got a lot of kids. (laughs) Woo! I want everybody to stand up. Or could you stand up? Sorry, I should have asked that. I want you to look to the right and left of you. And say, what's up? How you doing? How's it going? What's up? Good to see you here. <laughs> see how powerful it becomes when you're shining. Shining next to someone who is shining. Second Chronicles 69, I say this verse all the time, but I'm going to keep doing it because it's mighty fine. It is his eyes roam to and fro the earth, looking for those whose hearts are turned towards him. And although I may have my little torch like, God, look over here. Yeah, come on. And he loves to come meet me while I'm holding my candle inside, what say we create a roaring fire that he can't ignore by being the body of Christ? Father, I thank you today that you love us with this everlasting love and that you have made us to hold this flaming fire of your love inside of us. And I ask that we would not get used to the fire that's around us, to the light that is shining, to those that are closest to us, that we wouldn't start to put people in a box, but we would expect your freedom and your joy and your love to move through each and every one of us. So I pray right now, Father, that you would Continue to touch hearts and continue to let your love shine in the midst of us. I feel like there are some people here with chronic pain and illnesses that God is just touching right now. Especially um, a, roca- a rotator cuff and a left shoulder, I believe that he's just going to touch it and heal it as we're just in service and worship. So as we're continuing our time of response and communion, I want to invite you to come up here and receive prayer. We'll have some prayer leaders up here. And I just thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our environment. In Jesus' name.